Good morning, Influence Church. It is uh, a joy and privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, As I already mentioned, my name is Sean Kennedy, and I've known Phil and Tammy now for well over 10 years, and uh, co-pastor with their son, Josh, at Existence Church in San Diego, and I really just consider it a privilege to be here with you. One of the things that you should know about me is that I really do believe as followers of Jesus, we should embrace and value honor, that we should embrace and value honor. One of the reasons why we worship God is because he is worthy of our worship. Amen. It's one of the reasons why we engage in worship to honor God. It's one of the reasons why in just a moment we'll turn to God's word and open that up and listen to God's inspired, revealed word and respond to his word because God is so worthy of honor and we want to do that. And I never want to miss an opportunity to honor someone. And I realize that some of you who are here today are new, are here for the first time. And I want you to know that that my hope and prayer alongside the rest of us, if you are new here at Influence Church, is that God would speak to you in a custom fit way. A way that you need to hear this morning. That you would be encouraged, that you would be challenged, that you would be inspired that you'd be confronted in ways you need to be confronted, you'd be convicted in ways you need to be convicted, and that you would be pointed toward a new or deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you call Influence Church home, this is your church family, would you please join me in giving a warm, loud, honorable welcome to those who are new here with us for the first time this morning. Uh, Today, I want to share with you something that has been on my heart now for over a year. Phil was sharing with me that you've been talking about this concept of a journey. And God really has brought me on quite a journey over this past year. And, And I would say in one way, it's discovering some things, but in another way, it's recovering some things as well. And God's really been speaking to me, and and my hope and prayer is that he would speak to you today. Uh, I say this out of deep sincerity and humility. For some of us, this may be one of the most important messages that you hear, because God has a word specifically for you this morning uh, that will be lodged into your heart and radically affect your life. Uh, For some of you who are here today, uh, you don't have a relationship with God. You have a relationship to God. And you've been really trying to sort out and figure out who is Jesus. And today, I pray that you get a crystal clear picture of the scandalous grace and love of our God. And that you see firsthand the fulfillment and freedom that comes when we engage and put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn over to Colossians in the New Testament. Colossians, a very small, short letter in our New Testament, written to this group of people who are at a church in the area of Colossae. It's a short letter. It's 95 verses in total, four chapters long. You could breeze through it in 15 minutes, but it's a significant letter because this letter really would take us a lifetime to really live out the truth that we find here It's written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. And you may not have a reference point for who Paul is, and so let me kind of fill in some of the details. Paul, at one point in time in his life, absolutely persecuted those who would stand for Jesus. 
And then in an encounter with Jesus, a supernatural encounter, his life was turned inside out, upside down, and God started to work in him and through him. And he became the second most influential person for all of Christianity apart from Jesus. He pointed people with his entire life toward Jesus. And he writes this this letter to this church in Colossae. And to set the stage for us, to kind of digest what is the driving message here, I want to take us for a moment into the advertising industry or world. The advertising industry is a billion-dollar industry. And there are these various advertising slogans that really do compete for our affections and compete for our attention. And I don't know if you've ever realized this not, but in the advertising world, one of the things that's very unique is not necessarily that they're trying to get you to leave something as much as they're trying to get you to add something to your life. And every advertising slogan, and all of us are bombarded and faced with one advertising slogan after another advertising slogan, unless we live in a cave somewhere, Every time you turn on the radio or search the internet or walk through a mall, it's one slogan after another slogan. And there's advertising slogans really do point us toward a promise that if you just had this, then you would have peace. If you just had this, then you would have fulfillment. If you just had this, then you would have the security that you long for. Then you would finally be happy. Again, not necessarily that you have to leave something as much as just add this to your life. And they are powerful and they are memorable. To show you how powerful and memorable in many ways they are, I want to share with you a couple of advertising slogans. And if you know which company they point you toward or product, I'm just going to ask you to share that out loud this morning. So let's start. A very easy one. If you saw the advertising slogan, just do it, which company is that pointing you toward? Nike, right? I mean, if you just had this shirt, if you just had these shorts, if you just had these shoes, then you too could be an athlete like Sean McDougal. I mean, you too could possibly be an athlete like him at the highest level. I mean, if you just had this. How about this one? What's in your wallet? Capital One, right? I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through, but you need this in your wallet. You gotta have a Capital One credit card with you. How about this? So easy a caveman can do it. Geico, am I the only one that thinks those are some of the funniest commercials? They're hilarious. I love those commercials. And they get you to think, you know what? I really like this group of people. I mean, they don't take themselves too serious. Maybe we should adjust our life and maybe we should get Geico. How about this one? And this one's a little bit more difficult. It's kind of a song or a jingle, and I'm not going to sing it, but maybe you'll get it. Give me a break. Give me a break. Kit Kat bars, right? I mean, those things are amazing. I love Kit Kat bars. They're incredible. Absolutely incredible. And there's one slogan after another slogan in our life that says, if you'll just add this to your life, Finally, finally, you will have peace. Finally, you'll have security. Finally, you'll have happiness. Finally, you'll have the fulfillment and joy that you're longing for. And in the same way, there was advertising slogans facing this church in Colossae. In four chapters, in 95 verses, this group of believers had some real challenges facing them. The advertising slogan facing the church of Colossae wasn't that they should try and remove Jesus from their life. It wasn't that they should try and remove Jesus from their life, but rather they should add things to Jesus in their life. 
The message they were facing is Christ is important, but, but Christ is not central. Christ should be treated seriously, but don't go so far to treat him supremely. Christ is significant, but Christ is not enough. Christ is not sufficient to meet your deepest needs. Christ is not sufficient. And in the face of this, Paul is going to continue over and over and over again, remind them that at the heart of the gospel, it is truly Jesus plus nothing that equals for us our salvation and our primary source of satisfaction It's not Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything to us. It's Jesus plus nothing. Paul wants this group of believers to know with great confidence and clarity that it truly is Christ in us that makes all of the difference to us. It really is Christ in us that makes all of the difference to us. It's Christ in us that makes all the difference for our salvation, our primary source of satisfaction. It's in Christ we find joy. It's in Christ we find peace. It's in Christ we find hope. It's in Christ we find fulfillment. And Paul is literally intoxicated with this phrase, in Christ. When you look through his letters, you'll see this over and over again. He references 160 different times. In Christ. He's constantly pointing people to who Jesus is, not to who other people think Jesus is. That Jesus is not just some great sage. That Jesus is not an insightful teacher. That Jesus is not a big brother or a listening ear or a wonder-working prophet. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God who lived a perfect, sinless life. Who died on a rugged cross and rose victoriously three days later, proving once and for all that He is who He said He is. It is Christ in us that makes all of the difference. Look at what Paul says in verse 27 of chapter 1 in Colossians. He says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What mystery are you talking about, Paul? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the hope of glory? The hope of glory is Christ in you. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It's in, not, and. What a relevant message for this church in that day. And I truly do believe it is a relevant message for us in our day as well. That we are constantly, constantly fighting one temptation, coming up against one worldview after another. Not a day goes by, not a week goes by, that you aren't, Facing a temptation just says, if you'll do this, then you'll finally find your peace. If you'll do this, you'll finally have joy. You know that fulfillment that you've been longing for? If you just do this, then you'll finally be fulfilled. And the truth of the gospel is, fulfillment, joy, peace is found in Christ, in Christ alone. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. It's in, not, and. It's in, not, And would you just say that with me as a church family? It is in, not, and. One more time. It is in, not, and. It's in, not, and. And so today I want to walk through a couple of things that really drive this home. I want to start out in chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2. And we'll end in verse 12 and verse 14. I encourage you to take notes and to actively engage this morning. I've found that it's easy to skip over the first two verses in a letter. 
It's easy to kind of treat those verses as if they are throwaway verses, looking forward to getting to the meat of the message. But these are anything but throwaway verses. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul is essentially saying, everything I'm about to say doesn't originate with me, and I want to be very clear on that. This is not about my agenda. I'm not sitting in prison trying to figure out what to say to this church. No, no, no. It's not about my agenda. It's about God's agenda. It's not about my kingdom. It's about his kingdom. Sam Storm says, It's important to fully understand and receive that this letter did not come by human nomination, nor did it look for human confirmation, but rather it was by divine initiation, preparation, and authentication. Going on to verse 2, where we find really this essence of the truth, Christ in us. And I would say in many ways, the essence of the gospel itself. He says to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, pause for one second. It's important to know that he's writing to a group of Christians. That he's writing to a group of believers. And this is what he says to those believers. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is important. Write this down. Grace is the root of the gospel. Grace is the root of the gospel. And peace is the fruit of the gospel. Grace is the root of the gospel. And peace is the fruit of the gospel. Paul is determined to make sure that these believers know that they have freedom in Christ. He's constantly fighting for them to understand the freedom that they have in Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, you don't have to turn over there. He says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What freedom is he referring to and where does it come? It is freedom that comes From Jesus, by grace. By grace. At the core of the gospel, you will always find grace. Always. Now what is grace? I like to think of grace in two different ways. One you may be very familiar with. It's an acronym, and maybe you've heard it before. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Expense. In other words, because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, I receive all of the riches, all of the blessings of Jesus, not because of what I have done, but because of everything he has done. It is by grace and grace alone. Or here's another way to put it. Grace is the unconditional acceptance granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Let me say that again. Grace is unconditional acceptance granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. In other words, Christ didn't have to go to the cross. He didn't have to. He didn't have to have nine inch nails in his hands and in his feet. He didn't have to have three and a half inch Israeli thorns on his brow. But he did it because of his great love for us. Even while we didn't deserve it. He looked right in the face of all of that. And he did it anyway. And of his great love for us, it is grace. And grace liberates us. Grace is so liberating. 
When we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, it liberates us to have a new identity. And our identity is not found in something anymore. Our identity is found in someone, and that someone is Jesus. In other words, when we are in Christ, our fundamental core identity is not located in our success. It's not located in our failures, but in the great and glorious truth of the gospel that says, by God's grace, we are loved by him. Amen. Our identity is located in someone, and that someone is Jesus. And this is good for us because we wrestle at our core with plenty of identity struggles. With who we are. As one pastor put it, there are many me's I wrestle around with. There's the me that I pretend to be. There's the me that I think I should be. There's the me that I think you think I should be. There's the me that I'm afraid that God wants me to be. And all of those me's really do come down to our quest for success. And in that success, finally we will be worth it. Finally we will be worth it. We have this quest for success. No one is sitting in second grade doodling on a white sheet of paper, praying and hoping maybe one day I'll grow up and I can be a complete and utter failure. No one does that, right? No one does. And then no one says, maybe I'll have kids and maybe those kids can be a complete and utter failure just like me. That would make me proud. No. Why? Because we have this quest of success and and success is so tied to our central sense of worth. It's the reason why often people buy houses they can't afford to be seen as successful. So finally they can look in the mirror and say, I'm worth it. It's the reason why at times we'll buy cars that we can't afford so that we can impress people with our success. And finally we are seen as worth it. It's the reason why sometimes people grow businesses With this quest of success, if my business is successful, finally I can look in the mirror and say I'm worth it. It's the reason why even at times that pastors will strive so hard to grow churches with this quest for success. So finally they can look in the mirror and say I am worth it. I'm worth it. And we take this quest for success and we bring it into our Christian lives as followers of Jesus. It doesn't end in our house. We bring it right into our heart and right before God. And we have this quest that maybe if I'm successful enough, maybe if I perform in the right way, then finally I'm worth it before a holy and loving God. And he'll say you're worth it. How many of you have ever seen by a show of hands the the show voice? The voice? I think it's called voice or the voice. I watched that about two years ago for the first time, and it's an intriguing show if you've never seen it before. And I'll probably get it wrong, but I'll try. Uh, The beginning of the show, basically you have contestants that come on a stage, and they sing their heart out. They try as, as much as they can to perform in the right way. And then there's four judges. And these four judges sit in these chairs, and their chairs are actually turned away from the contestant, so they can't see the contestant. The contestant can't see them. And if they really like how that person is singing, if they really like that, there's a button on their chair. They can push that button, and it'll turn around their chair. And when they turn around their chair, it signifies, I think that you've got the goods. I think you're worth it. I want you on my team. You have sang in the right way. I choose you. And it's kind of heartbreaking in some senses to watch because people will get up there and they will sing and they will sing and they will plead and nothing happens. 
And then there's other people who jump up and down because finally they have been chosen. And I think in many ways, we kind of bring this over into our relationship with Jesus and we think that it's somewhat similar. That finally, if I can work hard enough, if I can perform in the right way, if I can succeed and not fail, maybe, just maybe, Jesus will look at me and say, you're worth it. But here's what the truth of the gospel says. The truth of the gospel says that Jesus doesn't just sit on a throne. He turns that throne around. He gets off the throne. He comes right to where you are at. And he looks right in our eyes and he says, it's not about what you can do. It's about everything I've done. And I love you just the way you are. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus does for us. And it radically affects our life. It will change every aspect of your life because it will change your identity in so many various ways. And now, in your heart of hearts, you know what you're defined by. I stand up here this morning. I'm Sean Kennedy, and I am defined as a son of the living God adopted into God's family by grace. That's who I am. And the rest of the things that I could tell you about me just simply describe me. I'm a pastor. That describes me. By God's grace, I get to do that for such a time as this. I'm not defined by the way I look. I'm not defined by what I wear. I'm not defined by how well you think this sermon is going. I'm not defined by what I drive. All of those things describe me and they will fade. But you know what remains? The banner over me that says it is finished. When you put your faith, hope, and trust in Christ, you should know the banner of your life is it is finished. It's not about what you can do. It's about everything he has done. And that frees you to love him. It frees you in so many radical ways. When we put our faith and hope and trust in Christ, we don't serve and and, and worship God in order to gain a sense of acceptance from him. No, no, no. We live for God because in Christ we are accepted. When we live for God, we're not living for God in some way to gain his love. We live for God because in Christ we are loved. We are loved. Because the radical, scandalous nature of God's grace that liberates us. Brenning Manning says, in Christ, God loves us unconditional as we are, not as we think we should be or as anyone else thinks we should be because no one, no one in this room is as they should be. No one in this room is. It frees us. And some of the pain that we might be experiencing in our lives, and I say might be, some of the pain that we might be experiencing in our lives is God loves us so much that he's trying to pry our hand from trusting in things smaller than Jesus for our worth. And that's a painful process. But God loves us enough that he will work in and through our life to try to pry our hands away from things that are smaller than Jesus because nothing smaller than Jesus will do. So let me ask you this morning, what are you trusting in smaller than Jesus for your fulfillment, for your worth, 
for your sense of identity? What are you trusting in? What is it in your life that you're trusting in that ultimately is smaller than Jesus because nothing smaller than Jesus will do? Nothing smaller than Jesus will do. Grace is the the root of the gospel. Grace is the root of the gospel. And peace, peace is the fruit of the gospel. Peace is the fruit of the gospel. He says grace to you and peace from God our Father. At the very heart of the gospel is grace, but at the very heart of the gospel is also peace. And we have grace and peace that come to us in Christ. And we have to stop chasing and pursuing things we already have. Paul's saying, don't try to find things outside for your sense of peace. No, no, no. You have peace. The peace comes in Christ. And we all know what peace is like when we experience peace. We know what it's like. It's this confidence and insurance. There's this sense that my future may be unknown, but there's some things I know about my future. There's this sense of confidence that happens in our life. It floods our hearts when we experience peace. My wife is here, and we are from Alabama. We were married in this small Episcopal church, beautiful white Episcopal church in Point Clear, Alabama, It was such a hot day. Alabama is so hot. It was 95 degrees, 100% humidity. I mean, the kind of stuff that'll make you angry. And we're there. And my wife and I discussed before we get married that we would like to buy each other a gift on our wedding day. And we said, well, the limit to that gift before the ceremony begins is $50. It can't exceed $50. I thought about it for a while, and I tried to figure out what can I get my wife. And and I was trying to figure out, I mean, $50, you can't do much with $50. So I thought, you know what, maybe I'll get her some things for a nice bubble bath and, and some other little trinkets. And I brought my best man over, and I said, listen, will you please investigate and see what my wife decided to get me? Because I'm so narcissistic and selfish, I want my gift to be better than her gift. And so if you don't mind, I know that sounds horrible, but I want you to go over and find out to see if my gift will trump her gift. Well, he came back and he said, listen, Sean, your gift is going to blow her away. Your gift is so much better than her gift to you. Our wedding day came. We finished taking pictures. I walk into this room, a green carpet, white walls, no furniture, and there's a box. I walk over to this box. It's just a couple minutes before our ceremony begins. On this box, is it's a Bible, and it says the Kennedy family. And I think that's pretty amazing. And then there is a a letter. I open up the letter, a white sheet of paper, and all it says is, you have all of me, nothing is hidden. And I thought, that's really, that's sweet and beautiful. I thought, well, I'll see what's in the box. And so I remove the Bible. I open up the box. Inside the box is all of my wife's journals. And my wife has journaled since late elementary, middle school, high school, college, grad school, all of her deepest, darkest secrets, all of the various areas of her life, everything vulnerable before the Lord is right there. And I'm just sitting and I'm looking at that and I'm taking it in and all of these feelings and all of these thoughts started to rush in my heart and mind. One of them was, you are fired. 
you are dead to me. I get my wife some trinkets and she gets me her heart. Are you kidding me right now? I haven't talked to him since. You know what flooded my heart? Peace. I thought about no matter what goes on in my life, I will gladly walk through it all with this woman who bears everything before me. Nothing is hidden, completely vulnerable and completely transparent. I don't know what our future holds, but I'm glad I'm walking into that future with her. Have you ever went to the hospital and maybe there was someone there and and they were on their last days this side of eternity and they're a believer in Christ and you go there and you're so ready to encourage them and inspire them and then you get there and you look in their eyes and there is such deep peace in their eyes and you go in there to encourage them, you leave out of there encouraged. Has that ever happened to you? Because of peace. When peace grips our hearts. Isaiah says, and the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness is quietness and trust forever. It's amazing what happens when peace invades our heart. Now here is what I am recovering or maybe discovering for the first time. And it's wrecking my life fresh and new. I don't have to go out and get something that I don't have. I just have to go deeper as a believer in what I do have. I don't need to go out and find grace. In Christ, I have grace. I don't need to go out and find peace. In Christ, I have peace. And if I want to experience a deeper level of grace, I just need to go deeper in Christ. And going deeper in Christ, I experience a deeper level of the grace that I already have, and I experience a greater flow of the fruit of peace, which I already have. All in Christ. And Paul is continually trying to get this message across because it changes our life. Look at verse 8. When we live in Christ, others live in gratitude. We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Paul says, when I pray for you, I'm so grateful because of your life in Christ. Look at verse 4. When we live in Christ, we live in faith. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, even while the city around is struggling, this small church has faith in Christ, and their faith is growing in greater and greater ways. Look at the second part of that. And the love you have for all of God's people, not just some of God's people. When we live in Christ, we live in love because we embrace the love of God and it flows from us. And to make sure they get it, I want us to look at verse 12 to verse 14. This is what Paul says to them. And notice what he says to them is past tense. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. He has qualified you. He's not qualifying you. He's delivered you. He's not delivering you. Someone please say, I'm qualified and I'm delivered. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Say, I am transferred. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Say, I am redeemed and forgiven. Influence Church, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that when we live for God, we don't live for God to gain acceptance. When we live for God, we live for God because in Christ we are fully accepted. 
When we live for God, we don't live for God to gain a sense of forgiveness. We live for God because in Christ we are fully forgiven. When we live for God, we don't live for God to gain love from God. We live for God because in Christ we are dearly and deeply loved. When we live for God, we don't live for God in order to gain a sense of freedom. We live for God because in Christ we are free. And you can see why Paul would say those words. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Don't chase after things that you already have. Just go deeper and greater in the things that you do have in Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come this morning. And I don't know where you're at as we finish today. I do know that every single person in this room faces their own sense of temptations that pull at them every day of their life to find their trust and hope and sense of identity and worth in things smaller than Jesus. And I know we often chase and pursue things that will give us peace when in reality as followers of Jesus we have peace in Christ. I want to ask you to stand this morning. I believe Sunday mornings are an opportunity to respond to God. And we're going to have the privilege in just a moment of once again being ushered into worship, but we're ushered into worship as free people. Not by what we can do, but by everything He did for us. And I want to pray that that you will stand in that truth. But I'd like to ask everyone, just bow their head for just a moment, all eyes closed. I don't know what's going on in your heart, And maybe some of you, your great struggle has been finding worth in other things, finding fulfillment in other things. Maybe you feel this sense of pain in your heart and life and potentially, I don't know, you would need to discern, potentially God is trying to work in you so that you would let go of those things that are smaller than Him. And maybe for some of us, this is like foreign language. Maybe we've never understood the grace and peace that comes in Christ. And wherever you're at this morning, I want to ask you just to to open your hands for a moment. Maybe just put them by your side. You can look up for just a moment. Maybe just like this. And I want to pray for us that you would receive this word this morning. It would go deep in your heart. That God would transform your life in incredible ways. And that you would be free from finding your sense of worth and sense of fulfillment and sense of joy in other things. Father, we thank you for this morning. We are so grateful for this opportunity to open your word. We thank you. Your word speaks so loud and clear. I pray right now, Lord, that you would give us greater and greater freedom that we have in you. But Lord, we would fill in this moment a deep sense of peace, and a deep sense of being loved radically by you through the scandalous grace 
of God. And as we turn to worship, I pray that this place will will worship you as the one true God worthy of our worship. That we will worship you with freedom in this place. That we will glorify you and we will find our joy in you alone. In the name above all names where every head will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord, we pray. Amen.